Um, welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here um, at the church. Uh, we're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us, especially if you're a, a guest with us. Uh, we're really glad that you're here um, on this uh, rainy, kind of dreary, um, dreary uh, day here, but we've had a pretty good week of weather, so um, that's uh, kind of expected this time of year. But uh, we're continuing on in our uh, series, Walking Through the Book of 1 Corinthians. We have three more today and then two more sermons left in this series. We're almost to the end. It's been, I think, uh, I was figuring it up, I think 30 to 35 total sermons now that will be in this book. And so we've really dug in and uh, we're wrapping up the letter. And you'll hear, even in Paul's tone today, um, I think you feel him about to conclude the letter as well. You'll for sure um, see that the next two weeks uh, following today. Uh, let me read the text and then we'll jump in. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put, on the, put, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, your labor is not in vain. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this book that has been um, so important for me and I hope important for the life of the church um, there's so many issues that um, Paul has addressed in this book, and we're thankful for that, that we get to see this, and, and these are things we can apply to our own situation. And today, as we continue to look at the, the effects and the implications of the resurrection, I pray you would help us um, be on the same track as Paul is, and that you would allow us to feel, I think, what Paul was feeling when he append these words that we're going to look at today. As a result of the, the, the thinking and the feeling of, of what Paul's feeling, I pray that we would, we would listen to the words of the Scripture and that we would uh, follow um, your will and obedience that's rooted in faith. Help us this morning understand your word and apply it to our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, verse, chapter 15, I should say, is um, Paul's teaching, probably, well, for sure, the, 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 um, the most complete teaching on the resurrection, um, for sure in all of Paul's letters, in all the Bible. We find ourselves at the end of chapter 15. Paul last week talked about, he used his, his, um, his rhetoric and his logic to really make a case that the resurrection is, is believable. He wants them to, to get behind the resurrection and believe in it and stake their life and their hope and their faith on it. And he, he's trying to, last week we saw he tried to persuade them with all these arguments. 
Today he shifts gears a little bit and shows us really clearly the implications of the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, if you buy into the resurrection, if you believe the resurrection, this is what is ours in Christ. So today is a, is a really good news sermon. We won't start off that way, but we get there eventually. And in this passage, Paul um, really talks about this idea of winning and losing. We haven't seen that explicitly in 1 Corinthians, but he really does set up this, this kind of this argument to begin with, with winning and losing. And um, I would make the case that we all are competitive in some way when it comes to winning or losing. Right? You may think, well, I'm not, that of, I'm not that competitive person. We usually know someone that's more competitive than we are, and therefore we kind of feel like we're not as competitive. But here's what I'll say. If, if you had two choices laid out before you, um, all things being equal, a, a winning choice and a losing choice, all of us are going to choose the winning choice. Nobody just sets out to say, yeah, I want to I lose at, at whatever I'm going after, right? Like, I'm just, that's, that's my disposition. I just want to lose, and that's my choice I make. No, we all want to win at some level, maybe some more than others. And you, you, you see this no better in, in a really negative way than in youth sports. I am coaching right now uh, Jax's soccer team and t-ball team, right? Five years old. And um, most of the coaches that we've come across have been pretty chill and realized that they're actually coaching five-year-olds. Some of the coaches have not. And this is a really poor example, but I think an example of how we are all have this deep-seated desire to win, right? And, 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 and some of these coaches um, forget that they're coaching five-year-olds and that they care more about the snack after the game still rather than whether they win or lose, right? But not these coaches, right? They allow that competitive spirit to come out too soon, too early. They're five-year-olds, right? And, and we, we, you see that in a very, very negative way. Like, and, it's, and it's really, you see it and you're like, this is, this is too much. This is not right. So you see this in a negative way in youth sports. So dad's in the room. This is a freebie. If you're coaching really young kids, please um, don't be like that, right? Don't be like that, right? Try, know they're five and coach like that. Also, you see Twitter and Facebook, right? Twitter and Facebook, much of Twitter and Facebook now is, is um, uh, picking a side of maybe an argument. You demonize the other side of the argument and you, you make sure you get a bunch of people in your corner, kind of the echo chamber, to feel better about your side which then makes you want to demonize the other side more, right? There's a, there's a, we're on the winning side, there's a losing side, so we're going to demonize the losing side, get a bunch of people riled up in our corner, and then go after the losing side so we can feel like winners. This is natural to all of us. Sports and news channels 15 years ago were set up mostly just to report on the events that happened, right? But now... Most of those news and sports channels are set up where you have two people arguing about something, a topic, or you get four people all on the same side. Uh, the, the, the host throws out some fodder for them, and they just pile on the enemy side and make everybody in the room feel better. Okay? That's much of the news channels and the sports channels that we see today. And so we have this built-in desire to win. And I think that's part of our flesh. That's part of our, our, the thing that we're, um, that we're battling every day. Now, Paul is going to say today that death is indeed our enemy. 
We have an enemy, and that enemy is death. And we all feel the sense that that enemy needs to be defeated. It's not good, it's not right, it's not normal, and we do everything possible to try to push back and hold back that enemy. But we know we lose. As human beings, we lose every time as it relates to earth. On earth, the game of life and death, death wins every time. And death is the ultimate enemy. It gets the better of us. That's why we hate death. We try to avoid death. We know that death isn't natural. We cry when people close to us pass on and they die because it's not right. It's not normal. Something about this is not okay. And even as we sit here right now, every minute that passes on the clock is a minute closer that we are to death. Glad you came today, right? Like, like thanks, Jeremy, for this chipper message. But here's the, here's the thing. We have to sit in that just for a moment. We have to realize that there is some bad news. And I think we all get this, right? Like, we all would be honest. Like, death is, kind of scares us. It does things to us. It makes us behave in weird ways. It gives us anxiety. So we're just admitting that, yeah, we kind of all feel that, that death is getting closer. So it can produce fear. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, death, what death is, is it's one step closer to seeing Jesus face to face. And having a new body, getting to experience this new heavens and new earth that Jesus is bringing to earth. And getting to live forever with this glorified body that is going to be amazing. It's still mysterious. We don't know all the ins and outs about it. But we know that the eternal life will be better than the life we experience here. For sure, 100% without a doubt. But the only way to get there is through death. But what if death was a gateway and not the end? Let's look at 1 Corinthians, the first verse here, chapter 15, verse 50. This is what Paul is, is getting at here in, in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, and that's brothers and sisters, everybody in the church, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. So Paul is saying in the way it works with, with God saving us and getting to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, we have to be changed. The the perishable or broken down bodies that we have now have to be changed to imperishable bodies. The flesh and blood, like we exist now, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God as we exist right now. Our bodies have to be changed to be able to spend eternity in heaven. So the question for us this morning, and Paul comes out of the gate with this telling us, something has to change with us. Something has to be different about us before we can spend eternity in heaven. So we all have to decide how we're going to approach this thing called death, right? Or if we believe that death wins and, and we return to dust and that's all there is and there's nothing after this, why, why do we fight it? Why do we fight it so hard if it's just the end and there's nothing else? If, if, it's, if, 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 if death just wins, then why, just, why don't we just give up? But we know Deep inside, most humans don't take that posture. So we know intuitively there's something more. Okay? But if, if, if we believe that death does not win in the, end, in the end, what's the basis for that? If we think that there's some kind of afterlife or that there's something that may happen, um, where's the basis for that? Is that just kind of pie-in-the-sky thinking or do we have something to ground us in that belief and be able to count on? Like, as Christians would say, the resurrection. And if this victory is possible, how can it be attained? 
These are the questions that Paul's going to help us with today. So number one, he's going to tell us we need victory over death, and we know it. He's already covered that in verse 50. Number two, how to get victory over death. How does this work, right? We should be asking that question. We should want to know that question because death is heavy. Three, and what does this victory look like and feel like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And that's going to help us move forward, which we'll see in um, a moment. Let's skip down to verse 56, because really, Paul sets off everything in verse 50. And then verse 56 really is him explaining what's happening here. And then we'll go back up and work through it. Um, Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Okay? So what does this mean? Like, what's happening here kind of behind the scenes that Paul's trying to explain here? Well, uh, commentator um, Stephen Um, who we've learned a lot from in this series, um, says that he uses imagery like, death is like a needle, and sin is like poison in that needle. And the law is the environment that allows the poison to spread, to infect, to cause damage. We hear a little bit of this in Romans 6, 23, really famous verse. The wages of sin is death. So what comes, the, 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 the punishment for the sin is death, that we can, none of us can escape because of Adam, which we looked at a little bit last week. Okay? And this final sentence of death is away from God, away from joy, into misery that never ends. This is the sting because of sin. Now, what makes death so terrifying is our sin, and we know this. Like, we know that, it'll, it, that, that that's the punishment, and that, we, that all of our lives will end in death one day. And really what gives, I think, more weight to that, that fear is that this scripture says that the power of sin is in the law, and this is God's law. So God's law has something to do with sin and death. Okay, we're going to get to that here in a second. But there are two ways people typically deal with God's law. Okay, the, the, you could say even just the scriptures, right? You could either ignore it all, right? Pretend like it doesn't exist because we don't want to feel the conviction. We don't want to feel the guilt. We don't want to, we don't want to have to put ourselves through that. So we're just going to live how we want to live, pretend like that God's law doesn't exist. And it makes us feel better because we can kind of do our own thing. And that may work for a little while here on earth, but we will have consequences of that when we um, die eventually. Number two, the second way we can approach the law um, that's, that's wrong on the other side is that we try to uphold the law on our own. Like we take the law, maybe it's the, the law of the scriptures, and we, we try to live it in our own strength as, as, as best as we can. We perform, we fight, we grasp, it's all up to us, and our joy and our freedom rises and falls of how we do, how we perform. It could also be another law that you make up for your own, right? Maybe not be a, 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 a law or a command directly from scripture, it could be just, um, I need to be the most successful person um, in my industry, Right, that may be your law. And you say, I'm going to go after it with every waking ounce that I have, and that's my thing for my life. It's going to leave a lot of wreckage and carnage throughout your life if that is your God. Your family, your friends, your joy, your freedom is going to rise and fall on that law, being the best in your industry. Okay? So those are two ways, two uh, negative ways we can approach the law, two incorrect ways to approach the law. He's going to tell us how to approach the law in a few verses. But let's go back up to 51, and he's going to tell us how this works, right, how the resurrection works. Behold, this is, this is really, look, pay attention, 
Exclamation, Paul's saying. I tell you a mystery. Now, when a mystery is uh, said in the scriptures, most times it doesn't mean something that we can't figure out or something that we can't understand. It usually means it's something that's been hidden by God and now it's being revealed or it has been revealed. This is what a mystery usually um, means. And this mystery he speaks of in this verse, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And sleep there just means die, okay? When the scriptures, again, mention sleep, especially in the New Testament, often it just means to, uh, to die. And so what he's saying here, simply, that some of us will die and then we'll be given new bodies when we die um, in eternity. And some of us, Jesus is going to return someday while people are still alive. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're alive when Jesus returns, you're still going to get a new body. You're still, your body is still going to change when Jesus returns returns. And this is a mystery, right? This is, this is hard to understand, and, but, but, the, but the scriptures have allowed us to understand more and more about this mystery. Our bodies will be changed, whether we're living or we're not living when Jesus returns. Verse 52, how does it happen? He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So he tells us how this is going to happen, right? There's no process. There's no slow development. It happens in an instant. Like the trumpet sounds and boom, it happens. Our bodies will be changed. Our, the change will be instantaneous whether we're dead or we're alive, okay? And now in verse 53, he's going to focus on two things that will be changed about our bodies, our perishable condition and our mortal condition. Listen to verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And these things are a little bit different. They overlap, but they're a little bit different. Um, this idea of perishable means that uh, they're going to they're gonna get old. They're going to break down. The longer we're here on earth, once we hit to our, our peak growth, it becomes downhill as far as our bodies becoming more and more perishable. The older you get, the more you realize this, right? The, the, some of you that are young in the room may not have faced this, but the older you get, you're going to feel that your body is perishable, right? But the other thing is this idea of mortality, right? We're, we're all mortal. We can't live forever. None of us will live in this body forever. I don't care if you lived 125 or whatever the, the oldest person you ever lived with, that you will still die, Right? Our bodies are mortal. So both of these things Paul has in mind when he's teaching how our body is going to be changed. We're going to be giving immortal bodies, meaning bodies that will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But we'll also have bodies that don't decay. Right? They're imperishable. Like they last forever. And, 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 and they continue on forever. And there's no decay. There's no waking up, waking up in the morning with, with aches and pains and doing something. You're like, how am I still hurting after that? I didn't do anything, but I'm hurting today because of that, right? It's like the, when, you leave, when they've done the test of leaving the McDonald's hamburgers in the wrapper for 10 years and nothing happens, right? Those are imperishable, not good for our bodies. But that's what these bodies we're going to have will look like. So that's what we have to look forward to. The aches, the pains, the sickness, the cancer, the heart disease, all of it, it's not going to exist in the new heavens and the new earth. We will have imperishable bodies. Okay, that's verse 53. And here's the deal with this idea of, of, of perish, this imperishability. Um, 
we all have this desire. We touched on this more last week, but we all have this desire to be imperishable, right? We all want to change our bodies. We want to, most of us want to do everything we can to push back death. Like we want to modify ourselves. That's what the whole self-help kind of movement and idea is about, right? We can be better. Some of that's okay, but that's really just human nature, right? We want to be better. We want to tweak ourselves. We want to, we want to modify ourselves to be better people, right? We get this sense that we are perishable, and we're trying to grasp um, this imperishability. That could be intellectually. I just can get a little bit smarter. I can just know a little bit more about this. Maybe physically, I could just have a little bit of better body, or if this part of my body would look a little bit different. Right? We all get this, and we all struggle with trying to find kind of imperishability when we, ha- we exist in perishable bodies. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to take care of our bodies, but we can go above and beyond um, what is healthy stewardship of the things God has given us. Let's look at this verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, so when this happens, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And this is one of uh, one of my favorite verses for sure in this book and all the scriptures. Listen to this. And this is almost Paul breaking into poetry and, and song, right? He says, death is swallowed up in victory, right? Meaning that, that death actually moves us closer to our victory, right? It's, it's swallowed up, but because we die, we're closer to victory. We're closer to what, what, what God is going to bring us in the resurrection, same with Jesus and same with us. So death is swallowed up in victory. In the verse 55, he starts with this, oh, death, right? It's like, he's like mocking death here. It's like, oh, death, where's your victory? What do you have, death? Like, come on. Like, is this all you have? I can take it. We can take it now. We, have con- we are conquerors over death. It, we're, we're moved closer to victory. It's like singing, we are the champions while standing over death. That's what he's doing here, right? The song by Queen, right? We are the champions. He's singing that, or you, you know that, um, that, that famous picture of the iconic image of, of Muhammad Ali, this picture where he's standing over Sonny Liston, who he just knocked down in 1965, and he's standing there, he's got this scowl on his face, and he's looking down at this man who's laying on the ground. Like, that, that's the feeling that Paul wants us to feel here, that we, we have victory. We are conquerors because of what Jesus has done. And then he says, O death, so O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And this is Paul probably thinking of like a sting of a bee or a sting of a scorpion here. So it's not just the sting, it's actually the venom that comes out of the sting there. So he's not saying the sting's not there, like the the poke or the stick is still there, but there's no power in it anymore. There's no venom. There's no, it's, it's, just, it's just a small little sting, and then we move on, right, because of what Jesus has done. And then in verse 57, he says, but thanks be to God. Based off all of that, and we've already talked about verse 56 where he explains it, but then he moves on to verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. God's the one who's given us victory. The imperishable became the imperishable. The immortal became mortal to save mortals by absorbing the sting. Not only absorbing the sting of death like we all, but he actually absorbed the venom. All the venom of the sin he absorbed on the cross and had victory over it it in the resurrection. So when we face death, there's no sting. Yes, yes, it's going to end for us on this earth one time. Absolutely. 
It's not that, that, that the sting's not there, but there's, there's no venom coming behind it. There's no power that comes behind it. And now we actually benefit from death. Death is actually a gateway for people who, who are in Christ, who are followers of Jesus. And remember in verse 56, Paul has this interesting statement where he says that the law is involved. God's law is involved in this somehow. And, and what it's saying here is that, that, that again, the law um, heightens sin, heightens the effects of sin, causes us to see um, the power of sin more. And we know that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. This is why it's important in our theology to remember that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, that we couldn't fulfill when Jesus fulfilled the law, there was, no, there was no, uh, no flesh, there was no law to make that venom worse. There's no environment for the power of sin to work because Jesus took the law upon himself. He kept the law perfectly. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And through all of that, the Christian inherits the kingdom of God, imperishability, immortality. This is what waits for us. And notice here, I love this, and we can't miss this in verse 57, so he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. God is the one who gives us the victory. God is the actor in this story, in this event. It's like when, when, when our favorite sports team um, wins, we like to use this like, like first-person plural, like we say we won or our coach or our quarterback. If you're not on that team or you're not employed by that team, you had nothing to do with that win, Right? Nothing. But we like to pretend, all of us do, who are fans of sports, like, that's my team. Like, I wear the uniform. I wear the colors. We did nothing, most of us, to, to aid their victory at all. But we're feeling the benefits of it, if, if there are benefits, real benefits for your team winning, right? Like, like maybe some pride. Maybe getting to wear, like, the, the 2021 champion t-shirt that we order, right? Maybe getting to brag to our friends about our team, right? There are some benefits that we feel as a result of being united to our favorite team who wins. So God does the work through Jesus, gives us the victory, and says, here it is. Here's your victory, and we receive it through faith, period. God is the one who is victorious. So it's not us, again, getting all tough and, and, and pulling us up by the bootstrap saying, I'm going to go get victory over sin. No, we have, we have a, one who has conquered sin already for us, and this is the good news. I mentioned last week that we're reading um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for the first time to Jax. And um, in this past week, we came to the part, I hadn't read this book in a while, and this part in the book where um, Aslan, the witch, has, has, uh, has killed Aslan, right? Put him um, on the stone table, tied him up, and the kids don't know what's going on, right? I mean, the, the, they don't understand, especially the two girls. Remember, the two girls sneak away and see all this happen, Susan and Lucy. They see all this happen, and they're watching this. And as soon as the, 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 the queen and her army leave, they run out to the stone table, and they start weeping. They start crying because this, 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 this awesome character they've grown to love, he's dead. He's tied up. He doesn't look like a mighty lion anymore. He looks like a helpless person who just gave his life up for and they don't understand and the sun's beginning to rise and they go off to the side of the hill with their backs to the stone tablet and they're watching the sunrise and then it says they, they're just observing and the birds start to sing a little bit there's some signs of life and they they hear this loud noise it says they heard a loud noise from behind them a great cracking deafening noise as if a giant had broken a giant's plate and they turn around and there's nothing there. 
The stone tablet is broken in two, if you remember, and Aslan is gone. And they start thinking, well, somebody took his body. They're doing worse things to him now, right? They don't understand what is happening. And then they said, what's happened? Is it more magic? And then it says, in the book, it says, yes, exclamation, said a great voice from behind them. It is more magic. And they flip around, and it's Aslan. And it says he's, he's, he's bigger, he's brighter, his mane's fluffed out, and he looks majestic. Like he is back on his throne, and that is Aslan. And they said, what does it mean? Is this a deeper kind of magic, the girls say? And um, he says the queen's magic only goes back to the dawn of time. But had the queen looked a little further back, before the dawning of time, she would have seen even deeper magic. And what, again, the beauty of C.S. Lewis is showing us there, the power of God. Right? That's what C.S. Lewis is wanting us to see in this story is the power of God and Aslan breaking the effects of sin. Now, I want you to imagine, I tell you that, imagine the, the emotional roller coaster that Susan and Lucy would have been on there from tears and agony of facing death that we've all, most of us have tasted at some form of, pe- of us losing someone. And even as we contemplate our own death, there's some sadness there. And then it goes from that and this, this really hopelessness to seeing Aslan come back from the dead, break his, his ropes, or through the help of the mice, break his ropes, and he's alive, and he's ready to roll. And he says that he plays around, which is really cool, he plays around with them for a second and plays this game of tag, which is really kind of a neat thing that I think Lewis adds in there, that he, he cares about these girls so much that he wants to have fun with them for a little bit. And then he says, get on my back. I get on my back, we're going. And just imagine how Susan and Lucy must have felt when they rode on the back of Aslan into battle. Like invincible. And these are two small girls, right? And small children. And they are, they are feeling like mighty warriors. Why? Not because they're charging into battle. Because they're charging into battle on the back of one who has just came back from the dead. And he's a roaring lion looking to devour evil. And sin, as C.S. Lewis kind of personifies in the queen. And then if you, they go and they crush the queen and her army in that moment. And the kids are given the benefits of that. Again, Aslan won the victory. The kids get to benefit by sitting on the thrones there in Narnia. Just a beautiful story, beautiful imagery from Lewis on the feelings that we should feel in the resurrection in that moment. I just love that chapter and those pages in that book. Um, one pastor said it this way. He says, hope, hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is dancing to it today. Hope is hearing the music of the future, but faith is dancing to it today. So as we see the resurrection, as we read about it and and picture what it is going to be like in those moments, that gives us hope. And what does that produce? It produces faith today as we dance, as we have hope, as we have joy, as we experience freedom, because of something that we know that will happen in the future, based off something that's already happened in the resurrection, right? You have the past and the future coming together to affect the way we live today. It changes the way we live. Last verse, verse 58. Now, this is all of this, Paul's going to give us a therefore, which means, okay, in light of everything I've just told you, really from the beginning of this chapter to the last 57 verses, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, and again, brothers and sisters there. And that's, a, that's really a reminder that, that this is in community, right? He, he, he highlights that, uh, that familial relationship, that we're, we're in community. We're doing this as a family, he says, by, 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 by giving them that, that identity there. And then he says, number one, be steadfast. Number two, immovable. 
Number three, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Number one, that those three, be steadfast, just means being steady as we move forward. Knowing our goal, knowing our purpose, and not, not with just hurry, not with rushing, not with anxiety, but steady, one foot in the front of the other towards the goal that we've been given. The, third, the, the, the second thing here, immovable, it means you don't get knocked over by sudden blows. You're able to keep your balance when the, the wind and the rain and the floods and the storms of life pr- press up against your faith. You're immovable. It's like a house that has a firm foundation that can withstand the storms. Not because you've built an awesome house, because remember, we're remembering the resurrection, and we know that this is the kind of house we live in now because of the resurrection, because of his work. We're immovable. And fourth, or the third thing here, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It means we can work hard. It means to abound it. It means to overflow. It means fill your days with things that count for Christ. Pray and dream and figure out what is your role in the kingdom and then work hard. Not, not for performance, not for earning, not to get more approval from God. We have that, right? Like we've been saved. We have victory in Christ. Now we're co-laborers with Jesus through his spirit and we can work hard because he's working in us and we have the victory ahead of us in Christ. Um, I was thinking about this this week and um, my favorite uh, baseball team, those of you who know me well, is the Kansas City Royals, and you know they won the World Series about five years ago now, I guess. And 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 it's like um, I remember when I watched that um, World Series for the first time, so much anxiety, so much stress. You guys, if you have a favorite team and you don't know the outcome, it, I mean, it's like kind of sick to your stomach. Like it's like something that we put ourselves through, but it's kind of dumb, kind of silly, but we still do it anyway, right? And, but I have this, I, I have these videos, uh, you can get them on YouTube or I have some DVDs of like the highlights of the Royals um, uh, run there in the World Series. And I'll go back and watch those. And it's so great watching those because there's no anxiety. I know what's going to happen. So I can just sit there and enjoy it, see the little things. Kind of be caught up, swept up in the moment of what was happening there because I know what happens. There's no anxiety. There was no, like, stress. There was no sick to my stomach, sick to my stomach feelings watching that or dread that we're going to lose this, right? I knew what was going to happen. So when I, 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 when I watched that video on YouTube or I put, put in that DVD to watch the highlights, right, like, I, there's something I know joyful about that. I can do that because I know the outcome. I want to end with this passage from Paul earlier on in, in, in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 10 through 11. Listen, listen for, to Paul's outlook as he does ministry based off of the resurrection. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It wasn't cheap grace, right? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul's mission was to preach the gospel. He's a church planner. He was a missionary. His role was to preach the gospel on the front lines in pioneering work. So what is your role? What is your role in the kingdom? What is your purpose? And we work hard at that, knowing that it is not you ultimately. It is, it is, uh, uh, it was, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Can we say that? Is, do we know that it's God's grace working in us? The resurrected living Savior who dwells in us through the Holy Spirit moves us and empowers us to to do the work that God has called us to do in his scriptures. We've been given the victory in Jesus. 
So let's be the kind of people that live like it. Today, tomorrow, and to the end of our days until we get to have that glorified body one day. Let's pray. Father, I love these passages. Um, I I love um, just um, thinking about the future. And um, I know as an individual who worries a lot about the future, who's concerned about the future, who um, stresses about the future and wonders what um, tomorrow's going to look like, this passage gives me so much comfort as I think about it and I dwell on it and I remember that the future's been taken care of. And this thing called life that I'm in, it, it, it will have an end. But after that end, whenever that is, I know what the next chapter looks like. And I pray that you would um, help us, enlighten us, show us the truth in your word. That um, we can work hard here and not be stressed out and live like we have an inheritance waiting for us. But I pray that those of us who are here who maybe haven't thought about death, maybe haven't thought about what happens after we die, and we don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with God that here on earth that will continue on for all eternity. I pray that um, you would guide uh, them in the room right now. And that you may produce faith in people that are described like that. I pray as we move into a time of communion that you would continue to remind us of your grace and your goodness found in Jesus. It's not just the cross, it's the resurrection, it's the future resurrection that we will experience as a result of his, of his resurrection that's already occurred. And we're in the in-between. We look back and we also look ahead. And I pray that would give us hope and faith and love for you and love for others. It's in your son's name we pray.